All right, well, good morning. Yeah, it's so good to be together with you guys this morning, worshiping together, worshiping God together. Man, it's good, it's good to be back to live, live worship uh, as well. Uh, I, yeah, you can clap to that. That's good. Yeah. I especially appreciated uh, the clapping, uh, and it made me think all the way back to uh, high school when I used to sit, because it was the, the youth's practice to sit like right here uh, growing up. I think that's probably just where our parents wanted us, just to make sure we paid attention. Um, but I sat right there, and uh, I remember trying to clap to a song once, and, and, I, and I, just as you know, I am not gifted musically, and it was hard for me. And, and I had a friend who leaned over to me uh, in the middle of the song, he goes, you should stop. <laughs> Love the accountability. You know, like I was praising Jesus, but I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably making it worse for everyone else. So uh, it's good to hear you guys practicing that and doing that. Great. So I absolutely love that. So it's great to be with you guys here uh, this morning. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're joining us in the sanctuary or in one of our venues this morning, um, or if uh, you're joining us online, we are so, so glad uh, that you guys are joining us. So I add my welcome to, to Ken and Tom's. And so um, can I just say, man, we have a great, great, great church. We have a wonderful church that's filled with wonderful people, uh, and, uh, and we have a great staff. And so I'm just excited to see what God is going to do in this next season, and, uh, and I hope you guys look forward in anticipation uh, to that uh, with me. So, hey, we are starting a new uh, fall series uh, this week, and it's called On the Mount. And you might say, well, okay, what, what's missing in that? Like, isn't it normally called the Sermon on the Mount, well, I'm calling it, well, actually, let me say this. It's, it's called the Sermon on the Mount because it's really this long discourse, right? This, this quite long, Matthew 5 uh, through 7, two chapters worth of Jesus talking with his disciples. And so it's oftentimes called the Sermon on the Mount. But I'm calling it On the Mountain because I think personally that what happens in these chapters takes place over the course of days and over the course of weeks, uh, even over the course of months. And so what I, what I hope in this title is that I'm communicating that learning from Jesus is bigger and longer than just listening to a sermon. It is, it is, a, it is a much longer process uh, that takes time, and it also takes practice. And so, hence, the bike. And you're going to get to see this here, here in a moment, because this is not just a prop. It's also uh, an illustration. Uh, but how many of you guys learned how to ride a bike at a, at a young age? Okay, it's, it's a, it's a, once you learn how to ride a bike, it's pretty easy to remember how to ride a bike. But, but if you think about it, it's actually, riding a, learning how to ride a bike is actually a pretty, pretty difficult thing. I mean, there's centrifugal force, uh, right? There's, there's this gyroscopic rotations, there's, there's leaning, there's turning, there's balancing, there's pedals, there's all of these things. And it takes a long time to figure out how to learn a bike. But once you learn how to ride a bike, it becomes ingrained inside of us, and it's, it's almost as it's impossible to unlearn how to ride a bike. Do you ever get that? In fact, you guys might have heard the phrase, right? Like, it's just like riding a bike, right? So easy, right? If once I learn how to ride a bike, I can't not know how to ride a bike. And so what happens, I think, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is that Jesus is addressing some of the things that have been ingrained in his disciples' lives from a very young 
age, from a very young age, and what he wants to do is he wants to reteach them, you've been following me this way, but I want you to follow me this way, right? There's a shift that needs to take place. And so, I'm going to move this for a second, and I'm going to invite up, uh, I invited a, a special friend of mine, uh, Aaron, would you come on up? Safety first, that's what I always say, correct, yep. Always wear a helmet. Actually, I'm going to put you just a little bit over here. Now, if you guys don't know, this is Aaron Jost. Uh, Aaron, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, would you say that you're like, a, like a, above a 5 proficiency in a bike rider? Okay, like a 3, because you're humble, right, yeah, okay, <laughs> cool. This is starting great. Um, so Aaron is a pretty proficient bike rider. Because of his humility, you may not know that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to hop on this bike, and then uh, I'm going to stand over here. And I've got $10. By the way, this is not church money. This is my money, okay, just so you guys know. Uh, $10 from my own personal pocket. Um, Aaron, I will give you $10 if you can ride that bike from there to here while pedaling and not putting your feet on the ground. Should be easy, right? Go for it. Just be careful. One more time, one more time. Riding a bike is hard. You can do this, I believe in you. Okay, wait, take it, take it back here, one more time. Uh, so what I didn't tell Aaron, what I didn't tell you guys, is that this has been reverse engineered. So every single time you turn the handlebars to the right, the wheels go to the left, and vice versa. Okay, but it stands true. Aaron, now that you know what it's going to do, you should be able to ride it. $10, go. Just remember, you turn left, it's going to go right. So now that you know, you can do it. So close, so close. Okay, you want more time? Okay, one more time. One more. You're good, okay. All right, we'll take it. We'll just put it down. Thanks, Aaron. Well, we'll put it back down here. Yeah, that's good. By the way, this bike, as long as we are COVID safe and friendly, will be available after each Sunday to take out into the parking lot, and you guys can try it. Because I guarantee you, there are people in this room who go, nah, I can do that. I can do that. It doesn't matter if Aaron, who's above a five, by the way, although three with humility, <laughs> above a five, bike rider, I can still do this. And the guy that I learned this from is a guy on YouTube. He does this channel called Smarter Every Day, and it's a really fun channel. Uh, but one of the things he says in this is he says, knowledge does not equal understanding. Just because I know what it's supposed to do does not mean that I can do it. In fact, he says, he goes, I don't ever make really um, statements like this, but he said, I guarantee you, you cannot ride this bike. I guarantee you that you cannot ride this bike because there's something that's hardwired into our brain. 
There's something that's hardwired into us, and especially as the older I get, the more hardwired I become. The guy who did this made it, made it his personal mission to learn how to ride this bike. He practiced for five minutes every single day. You want to know how long it took him? Eight months. Eight months, five minutes a day, to be able to ride this like 50 yards. It's absolutely incredible the way that things are hardwired into our brains. And I don't know about you guys, but being in COVID personally, one of the things that I have found in my own life, and maybe for you as a person, maybe for your family, and maybe for our church, we begin to see that in COVID that we've had some blind spots maybe in our rhythms that need a reset. How I'm following Jesus needs a refresher and for me, one of the, things, the biggest things for me in my own life was just was once I'm sitting around a table with my family going, man, I miss family dinners together. Like that wasn't something that we were doing really before COVID. And all of a sudden that became part of our rhythm. And I go, man, this is really good. Why didn't we do this earlier? And just the busyness in our lives and the way that we can run to ministry and we can miss the relationships and the people that God has placed right around us. I was reading a book um, several months ago, and one of the things that he cautioned in this book was, as a pastor, make sure that you don't miss or overlook the simple, mundane, and ordinary rhythms of Jesus, where he would just spend time with people day in and day out. That's who Jesus was. And so, so much of what Jesus does is that he's helping his disciples relearn, in Matthew 5 through 7, relearn how to ride the bike. This is the way that you've been following me, but this is how I want you to follow me now. And so I think that the same could be true for us. And so as we're in this series, I want to encourage you guys and, and all of us, myself included, to open up our hearts and our minds and to be receptive to whatever it is that God may place in front of us, that the Spirit may give us to say, this is how I want you to live. And here's the full disclosure, is that it's going to be hard, and it's going to feel like it's backwards, and it's going to take longer than maybe we would like for it to take, but we're in this together. This is why I love this, this journal, right? So this journal has on the front of it, has a bicycle, but you'll notice that the difference between this bicycle and this bicycle is that this one has two seats because this is a tandem. And so really what we're saying is that, hey, we are in this together. We're going to relearn how to ride the bike together, okay? So we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapters uh, 5 through 7 for this series, and this morning we're going to start in chapter uh, 17. But before we jump into that, I want you to uh, just imagine with, you, with me for a second. So this is a picture uh, that's actually from my photo library, because this is a picture that Nikki took when we were in Israel. And it's one of the mountains, it's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, it's one of the mountains that's associated with this Sermon on the Mount, with Matthew 5 through 7. That actually, that tall kind of mountain in the back to the left is the other mountain that some people think. But we climbed up this one, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you just to imagine that all of us together as Jesus' disciples, because this is who he's talking to in Matthew 5 through 7. He's talking to his disciples, which is what we would be. 
And so I want you to imagine that each of us together, as we kind of hold hands, as we, as we climb up this mountain together, we get up on this mountain, and what we're going to do is we're going to overlook the Sea of Galilee. We're going to smell the flowers on the breeze, right, the fall air, all those things, and we're going to listen together to Jesus teach over the next couple of months as we wrestle through the things that he has to say to his disciples. Here we are. I'm going to read uh, Matthew 5, um, 17 through 20. Here's what it says. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We're going to start back in, in verse 17 and just unpack a few of these things this morning. Verse 17, uh, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. If you guys have been joining us for the last couple of weeks, you might notice that there's some familiar words that start that sentence, right? There's a natural connection for us because we see the words do not, as we've been in Exodus 20 looking at the Ten Commandments. Here Jesus starts with his own. He says, do not. But he's not saying, do not think. He's not calling us to laziness. Hey, just don't think. Just stop. Just stop thinking. He's saying, he's saying do not presume. Do not presume or assume that I came to abolish the law. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how quickly we jump to assumptions, that we presume things that are going on in life? I feel like for me, like one of the biggest things is that um, I have this, I like to be in conversations, and sometimes I'm so ingrained in conversations that says I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating what they're going to say. And I presume and I assume what they're going to say next. Sometimes I do that with people's motives. I assume or I presume people's motives. And sometimes I'm totally wrong. Sometimes I, I, I do that, right? I could do that, especially it's really easy in the Christian world. It's really easy in the church for us to do that. Why do we do that? Well, um, this is just part of the answer, and we'll talk about this a bit later. But part of the answer is that we, we tend to fence in the law. Now, what, what do I mean by that? It means this, is that we sometimes create boundaries and expectations around spiritual things that we, over time, begin to treat those boundaries and those expectations as law. And that's what we assume. And so that's what Jesus is actually um, facing with the, the Pharisees. And so he's teaching his disciples that, that that's not what I came. I didn't come to abolish them, but I came to fulfill them. So he's like, hey, whoa, 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 guys, I want you to know I didn't come to abolish, but I came to fulfill. Now, the word abolish um, more literally just means uh, to destroy. It's actually used three times for the, in the rest of the, in the book of Matthew, and every time it's used um, about the destruction of the temple. And so if you remember when Jesus says, like, hey, I, I will destroy the temple, and in three days I will build it again. Right? That's where that comes from. And so here he's saying, like, I, I'm not, I didn't come to tear down or to destroy the law, but I actually came to fulfill it. 
Well, what does it mean to fulfill? There's three different options, and I, just, I wanted to give you all of these because I think it's helpful as you begin to wrestle with this passage for yourself. The first option is that to fulfill means uh, in regards to salvation, that Jesus is saying that, that I came to fulfill everything that you could not do on your own so that I could die the perfect sacrifice and be the right atonement to redeem you, to ransom you from slavery to sin and death. So that's one option. The other two options are more about his teachings and his life. So his teachings that established or completed or brought about the intended meaning of the law. Maybe that's what it means to fulfill. Or maybe to fulfill means that showing that the way he lived his life and the ministry that he had was in perfect alignment with the law. So it's either a salvation uh, or it's about his teachings or it's about his lifestyle, simply put. Now, I think it's a combination of the bottom two. Is, is Jesus pointing them to his future works? Is he talking about salvation? Absolutely, because it's hard to escape the reality because virtually everything Jesus does in his life is to point people to his true purpose on earth. Jesus in so many ways is saying, this is who I am and this is what I do. I will ultimately save you from bondage or slavery to sin and death. Yes, that is true. I came to love God and love others, though. So I think that what he's specifically saying in this space is he's talking to his disciples about his teachings and his lifestyle. See, I think, I think this is the big idea. This, or this is, as I wrestle through it, this is the big idea, is that Jesus is the answer, or he is the answer or solution to mankind's problems, but he is also the model to follow, right? He's also the lifestyle that we are called to emulate, and I think that for us, for me especially, as I think through this, I go, okay, I need to be really, really, really grateful for the gospel, I need to be so incredibly grateful, but, but the reality is, too, is I need to also understand that the aim of, of being in a Christ relationship is not just for me to be lazy, it's for me to become more like Christ. Because we remember that he's talking to his disciples. He's not talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to his disciples. I want you, as my disciples, to see that my teachings and that my lifestyle are in direct alignment with the law. And I want you to follow. I want you to do what I do. I want you to multiply that which I give you. And so he goes into this little explanation about the law. And so you look at this, this next part, this in verse 18. It says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And we go, okay, so what in the world does that mean? Like what is an iota and what is a dot? And what, what is Jesus talking about? Well, an iota is just the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. It's the smallest letter. And the dot is the smallest form of punctuation in the Hebrew alphabet. And so what Jesus is ultimately saying in this moment is he says, guys, even the smallest stroke of the pen, the tiniest letter, the tiniest dot, and not just one of them, all of them, every single stroke of the pen is understood and taught and lived out in Jesus. That's who I am. I understand every single, most minuscule, tiny piece of this, and it's in me and how I teach and how I live. 
And then what I think, I love what he does is that he then says, like, he ties the, the reality of the law to the reality of creation. He says this is permanent. The law is permanent. He says, right, until heaven and earth pass away. If you go back, go back one slide. Um, until heaven and earth pass away, then you go down later, right, not in the odor, not a dot, will pass away. From the law. Those words pass. If you like to mark up your Bible, you can circle those or underline them and connect them. Because what he's saying is that as long as creation exists, so does my law. As long as creation exists, so does my law. And so the law then is still very much present in Jesus' world and for the world of Christians even today. Right? Jesus isn't like negating it or, or letting it go. He's not replacing it. He's fulfilling the law. In fact, everything we talked about in Exodus chapter 20 then is valid because it's permanent. It's fixed to the, to the permanence of creation. Yes, there's always grace and forgiveness, and that's, and that's the outskirts. That's, that's what we're wrapped in. That's the bubble around us. There's always grace and forgiveness, but at the center there is obedience. And that's what Jesus is calling his people to. I am the answer to man's problem, but I want you to understand I'm also the model for you to follow and how you engage in life, how you engage in this world. And he goes on in uh, verse 19. He says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I wish we could unpack all of the stuff in that because it is filled with just really, really, really good details. But here's what I think that we need to know this morning is one, he's addressing two types of people. The first one is the nonchalant follower of Jesus. It's, he's, he's addressing the person who holds to God's law too loosely. It's totally open-handed. In fact, it says that in the text, right? Whoever relaxes, or really that word just means loosens or looses one of the least of these commandments, right? And so when I think about that word relax, I mean, the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is kind of the relaxing Christian, the guy who's lounging or whoever it is, we're lounging, right, on the beach or lounging in the lazy boy or whatever it is, right, that we're relaxing Christians. And ultimately, at the end of the day, then what we're communicating, if that's who we are, is we're saying that the, the rules and the laws that Jesus wants me to live don't apply to me. The lifestyle that Jesus calls me to does not really apply to me. Now, that could be something as simple as, say, leaving our Bibles on our shelves, like they're just collecting dust. And we just set it there, and then that's what it is. Now, it could be also, too, um, that we come to Sunday church, we listen to a sermon, and then we never implement it during the week. Maybe that's what this is. We hold to it too loosely. Um, or maybe it's the person that I like to call the black highlighter, black highlighter person. How many of you guys like to highlight in your Bibles? Anybody? A few of you. Okay. That's something that I, I used to do a long time ago, and I still do every once in a while. But the black highlighter is like a Sharpie. Because when I get to a part in Scripture and I go, hmm, that's too hard. Black highlight. Hmm, I just don't really like that one. Black highlight. This one I like. Yellow. Yellow highlight. That one's good. 
but black highlight. And what, we're in, what, we, what we are left with at the end is a Bible that's just basically redacted to whatever it is that we want Scripture to be. And so the reality is, is, is it's very possible to hold too loosely to God's law. The second person that Jesus addresses is the legalistic follower, the person who holds too tightly to God's law. These are the types of people where grace needs to become even greater. Guys, the Pharisees were so good at this. They were so concerned about following the laws of God that they actually built more laws to protect them from the first laws. It's actually, there's a term, there's a term for it. It's called fencing. Now, Nikki and I have two um, Siberian Huskies, um, and uh, one of the things that we have to do with this new house we're moving into, because it doesn't have a fence, is we have to put in a fence, because we need dogs to stay in, it also keeps people out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I want you to imagine, though, that, that I put a little tiny fence in my backyard, and that's the space where my dogs can be, and then I build another fence around that one, and then I build another one around that one, and then I build another one around that one. You see, what the Pharisees were so good at doing is that they, they created all these boundaries and these laws that over time, they were meant with great intentions to keep the laws of God protected so that they would never even get close to doing something wrong. But over time, those fences and those laws became law. And they became the reality and they treated them as if they were the same as the way that God gave the first ones. And God's going, no, you're missing the point. You're missing the heart of the law. If you remember, the heart of the law is to love God and love others. That's the heart of the law. So what are some of the things maybe today that we treat as laws? There's probably a whole host of different things and we all have them. Uh, Maybe it's that we feel that we can never miss a Sunday ever. If I miss a Sunday, I'm a bad Christian. If I miss a devotion in my quiet time, oh man, I feel guilty. If you feel guilty for that, you've probably made it a law. Uh, Maybe it's the way that we dress. Maybe it's what we expect out of other people. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's social injustice. Maybe it's all these things that we begin to put bent fences and boundaries around that we are treating as laws. And God says, guys, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love me, and I want you to love others. Take down those fences and allow ourselves to see the exposed nature of our heart and where we have done that. Because when it comes to the law, it's a very real thing to be able to hold it too loosely or too tightly. And that's what Jesus is challenging in this moment. But I love that nestled inside of these verses is this sentence. So it's it's the sentence that says, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so you have this sandwich, right? You have the people who hold too loosely to God's law, and you have the people who hold too tightly to God's law. And right in the middle, nestled in the very middle of those verses, God says, or Jesus says, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who do what I'm, what I'm doing and teach other people to do the same thing. Because we know that the fulfillment of of the law is to love God and to love others. And as we have seen in Exodus over and over and over and over, God says, this is who I am and this is what I do. 
I save a people who don't deserve saving. But when Jesus steps into the scene and he's teaching his disciples on the mountain in the space, he's saying, yes, guys, I am totally 100% the, the solution to mankind's problem. But I am also the model to follow. What I'm looking for is people who teach and do and multiply that which I give them. Our aim is to become more and more and more like Christ. And Jesus says, man, I have a way of life that I want to impart into you that you can then take into the world and make a huge difference. That's what Jesus is setting up. And so I want to ask this question as we kind of, as we wrap up, and if we had time to dialogue this in circles, maybe we would, but here's my question. Where do you think Christianity fits in the world today? Where does Christianity fit in a world like the one that we live in today? Because when I think about this passage, 5, 17 through 20, I have to go back, and what I'll see in the text just prior is that this, this becomes so much more real and so much more powerful when Jesus says, I have a way that I want you to live, if you look back in verses 13 to, to 16. And I don't have this on the slides because in, in New Testament times, they would just read the letters out loud. And so I just want you to hear this out loud. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus says, I have a lifestyle that's rooted in the law, and I want you to live it out in a way that shows the glory of God and that people see it and rejoice in the glory of God. And I think this is challenging for me as I think that, that man, maybe at best, the world that we live in today sees Christianity as irrelevant and archaic and outdated and silly and foolish, and sometimes, maybe even at worst, they see us as filled with hate and judgment. Because the life that Jesus calls us to doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's filled with purpose. Yes, Jesus is the solution to man's problem, but he's also our model to follow. So here's my, here's my question. Is it possible that in our lives, somewhere in our lives as individuals, as families, and as a church, that we need to reconsider where we need to relearn how to ride the bike. Where we need to get our priorities with Jesus potentially straight because knowledge does not equal understanding. Just because I know what I am ought to do doesn't mean that I oftentimes do it. And sometimes there's a disconnect between what my brain is ingrained to do and what my heart wants to do. And that's the process, that's the journey that we are going to be on over these next couple of months as we wrestle with where am I today holding the law too loosely and where am I holding it too 
tightly. And as we learn, we're going to get to do this together. That's what I love. We're going to get to learn how to do this together, and it's going to take time, and it's going to feel backwards at times, and that's true. By the way, can you imagine taking this bike and going to the top of this mountain and Jesus just saying, great, ride the bike down? What's going to happen? One disciple down, there was, there was 12, now there's 11. <laughs> there was 11, now there's 10, right? This is a slow process. It takes time to relearn how to ride the bike, but may our hearts be open and ready for whatever it is that, that the Spirit would give us in this series. Let me ask these questions, and then we'll pray. First one is, you know, ask the Spirit, this is more of a challenge than a question. Ask the Spirit to reveal what is ingrained in you that needs changing. A really simple way to do that, even though this can be hard and painful at times, is to ask someone that knows you really well and say, hey, what are my blind spots? What are the things that I'm not seeing in my walk with Jesus? That's a good one. Second one, are there any areas that you've been too loose or too tight with God's law? And that last one, really simple, are you salty? Are we together salty as a church for Fargo-Moorhead? That's our prayer. That's our hope that we would be a light that cannot be hidden. Let's pray. Father, I want to just say thank you for this morning. Father, I rejoice, we rejoice in, in the goodness of who you are. And as we remember back through this Exodus series, we know that, that, that Yahweh means I am who I am. I will do what I will do. And yet, really what you're communicating is that, that I, I am a person, I am a being who saves people who don't deserve saving. This is who I am, and this is what I do. And as Jesus, as he stepped onto that scene, Lord, I pray that in each of us that there would be this intrinsic, deep, incredible desire to go, I want to be more and more like Jesus, and I want to have an impact in this world in a way that's bigger than what I've got right now. And so wherever we're at, in our journeys, would you draw us just slightly closer to you? Would we take that one step towards you today? And you say, man, I just want you to know, you're gonna fail and that's okay, but I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. My grace of forgiveness extend as far as the east is from the west. But I'm excited that we get to follow Jesus together. Lord, we love you and you're gonna be pray. Amen.